0: Welcome to our new podcast of Harbor Road. Uh, for people who are new of our community, Harbor uh, Road is a European progressive think tank whose the major goal is to inform the public community and open the discussion on the important topic uh, on social, economic, health and digital field. So uh, Arbori Road hosts debate between different parties, and the idea is to make proposals that could change the European vision for a better future. Uh, this is a grassroots project, and you can find more information about Arbori Road on our website, arboriroad.eu, and uh, uh, you can also donate and support our volunteer. My name is uh, Caterina Garone and I hold a medical and scientific background, and today we will attend together a podcast on hand-of-life treatment toward European legislation. My honor and pleasure to introduce uh, uh, today panelists, uh, Mrs. Sophie Hintveld and uh, Mr. Marco Cappato. Let me introduce first Ms. Hintveld, Ms. Hinterwald has been a member of the European Parliament since 2004. She is a member for the Renew Europe Group and serves as a parliamentary leader of the delegation of the social liberal Dutch political party Democrat 66. Uh, Sophie Hinterwald has built a profile around a number of priority, like privacy, fundamental right, rule of law, migration and asylum, and pension. Uh, this priority guide our thinking uh, as a member of three European Parliament Committee, the Civil, Li- Liberty, Justice, and Home Affairs Committee, the Constitutional Affair, and the Budgetary Control. So welcome, Ms. Hinterwald. Thank you very much. And uh, Mrs. Mr. Marco Cappato is a European politician and activist, former member of the European Parliament, treasurer of the Associazione Luca Coscioni, and founder of Humans. Priority of his activity as human rights, and particularly the right to science and the right of science. Among the campaigns that seem as a protagonist, we can mention the legal euthanasia. The uh, legalization of cannabis and the carbon pricing. Uh, one of the main pillars of the uh, Marco movement are the participatory democracy that seen millions of Italians this summer fighting for hand of life treatment regulation. So, welcome, Marco. So, I will first thank you, very th- much. Thank you both for agreeing participating to this podcast. It will be an open discussion, and I like that we all share uh, our idea and opinion about this important matter. Since I introduced Arbor Road and this is a collaboration with the human, I would like to ask Marco to introduce also humans as a foundation. Please, Marco. Uh, uh,
1: Thank you, thank you, Caterina. Humans as a pan European movement is uh, trying to uh, promote uh, uh, political goals through civic participation. So not really through elections, but through the activation of instruments of participatory democracy. And we are going to hold in Warsaw, in Poland, our founding Congress on March 11 and 12, uh, next
0: March. Thank you. So and today's topic is end of life treatment, and since it's a very delicate topic, I think it will be great if we give some definition, and so we can have our community on our same page. So first, why? What is end of life treatment, and uh, why we call uh, the right of self determination, and also what is dignity at the end of life? So please. Sophie or
1: Marco, as you prefer.
2: Sophie. Well, well maybe Marco should should kick this off. Um, <laughs> oh, I'd I'd like to, to to shine my light on another angle, but first can. Okay. Marco.
1: Okay. You yeah. okay, so prefer. Well, and um, end of life this decision is the most, uh, uh, I mean, the widest definition that we can uh, apply to this issue, which is not only. Uh, the decision of terminating uh, a life, but also uh, palliative care and all the treatment that can assist an ill person in the process of ending his or her own uh, or life. So uh, some of those uh, issues are not uh, politically contentious or morally contentious. when you think about palliative care, you just have uh, to respect uh, the, the will of the person and the indication of the, of the doctor. Uh, of course, when you talk about uh, euthanasia, then you we enter in a domain uh, which does not find unanimity uh, in the public uh, opinion and also in the the political uh, spectrum. Um, What is, I think, relevant under this angle is that uh, uh, the the end of life, we are talking about end of life decision, and the end of life is no longer uh, a short moment, uh, thanks to the progress of scientific, research and medicine um, the process of dying or ending life it's becoming more and more a long process and it is a part of life so i think that the debate is becoming more and more important because the span of time of life uh, uh, in in which uh, end of life decisions are relevant Is becoming more and more important. And when we talk about dignity, I think we have to uh, accept a very subjective idea of dignity. There is not such a um, dignified or undignified, um, everyone should uh, be in a position to decide where. The treasure of dignities of suffering, for example, or assistance, um, should be set. So uh, I, I think that uh, the only way of considering the con- the concept of dignity applied to end of life decision should be combined to the idea of freedom. There can't be an objective dignity to be imposed. Through the law neither pro euthanasia neither against euthanasia there is not such a thing as an objective measure of suffering and dignity and uh, tolerance of sufferance or undignity of a certain condition so you
0: know Please, Sophie, please
2: Yeah. No, I entirely agree with that because uh, you cannot define dignity because it's it's an individual experience. What is important is autonomy, uh, and the moment you don't have autonomy, automatically you also don't have dignity. Um, so that's a very uh, very important element. Secondly, I think uh, Marco is, is right when he says that the the question is changing because of. Uh, uh, the, the advances in medical science, at the same time, the question has always been around. Uh, and even even countries who say, you know, the, the, we have no debate about euthanasia or assisted dying or end-of-life treatments because you know, it doesn't exist, we don't talk about it, it exists. It exists everywhere. The question is not, does it exist? The question is, is it legal? Um, it's it's pretty much the same with abortion. Abortion exists everywhere. It also exists in Poland. It's just you know not legal, um, and and that is and I think in particular, uh, end of life uh, decisions should be taken in, in an atmosphere of serenity. People should not be burdened with uh, you know a fight against the authorities or or maybe even you know people in their vicinity who want to. Uh, impose something, and that is very, very uh, important. And what you what you see in the Netherlands, because we were the first country to uh, to, to legalize it, to make it legally possible, of course, uh, you know, in a very strictly regulated context. The funny thing is that um, there are actually, let's say, after an initial uh, an initial uh, uh, increase in in the number of cases, it then decreased. Why? Because a lot of people felt reassured by the fact they had a choice. They didn't necessarily sort of years in advance decide that they wanted euthanasia at the end of their life. But the fact they had a choice, the mere fact they had a choice, was reassuring. And that is the dignity. That is the, the autonomy. Uh, and I think uh, the, uh, uh, another element, in, in addition to uh, uh, you know, whether it is legal or not, or whether it's regulated or not, is the fiction that it's not a European topic. Funnily enough, I mean, the, the opponents of regulated uh, end-of-life uh, care, let's say, uh, and, and regulated euthanasia and assisted dying, they're the exact same people who in, uh, uh, in, in, in the early uh, noughties, let's say, at the beginning of the century, when, when in the Netherlands it was legalized, those very same people, Christian Democrats, they went to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg uh, and said this is this is uh, you know against uh, this is against human rights uh, this Dutch law has to be struck down so they turned to a European court uh, and referred to European human rights in order to strike down the law and but then when the the proponents, when the, the advocates of, uh, of this right are, are having a European debate, then the opponents go, oh, no, 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 no. This, is not, this is not a European matter, we shouldn't be talking about this. And this is, they, they do this all the time. It's the same when it comes to, to uh, uh, abortion or, uh, uh, or, or equal marriage, for example. You have these ultra-religious groups who, who say, oh, this you know, family law is, is not an abortion, that's all not European competence. But then they took a European citizens initiative to, you know, trigger legislation banning abortion, uh, uh, banning uh, equal marriage uh, via European backdoor. So it's, I think we we should not be intimidated by this argument and we should not be cornered and say, yes, of course, it's national competence. Look, we have all seen in the COVID crisis, uh, health, human health, public health is very much a universal issue. So let's have this debate at European level as well.
0: Yeah. So that, that's very important, as a, the self determination, so autonomy, as you mentioned, is a human right, and so then must be protected. But this is not, uh, unfortunately, uh, present worldwide. So. Uh, can you, can you give us, and you know, you mentioned that the Netherlands was the first country to get the legalist, legalized euthanasia, can you give us an historical perspective and an overview about, you know, uh, a country where this debate has been opened and country where, you know, we're still uh, on uh, uh, a bit behind about that? Well, I
2: think Marco has uh, is, is probably uh, has has these these uh, the facts more uh, readily available of which countries exactly have uh, have have legalized. We know that there, you know, the Netherlands was the first, Belgium. Uh, there are a couple of other countries that followed, or countries which have legislation underway, or legislation that goes a bit less less far. But I suppose, I mean, there's there's debate everywhere. Because precisely what Marco says, you know, as soon as uh, as there are medical um, as medical interventions are possible, uh, then you also have to answer the question, you know, uh, whether it can be used under what circumstances, for whom, um, and 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 so the dilemmas will the ethical dilemmas will will present themselves. <laughs> you don't have to look for them; they will they will present themselves. Uh, and they are everywhere. So, and, and sometimes, you know, the, the debate can all of a sudden go very rapidly or it can be stalled for years.
1: Yes, I, I can confirm that the, the, the debate is open everywhere. And uh, I remember a few years ago, an international study by The Economist uh, um, referred to not to legislation, but to public opinion. And almost everywhere in the world, the majority can be a slim majority or a vast majority of people are ready for uh, rules uh, of uh, at least partial regulation of euthanasia. This is a a worldwide phenomenon. Um, In some countries is already legal. Of course, in the European Union, we're talking about the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg and Spain, Um, Portugal, um, passed the law, but it was blocked by uh, the President and the Constitutional Court. Um, at the same time, Austria um, uh, made a law on, uh, on um, assisted suicide, medically assisted suicide. There is an important um, decision of the Constitutional Court in Germany in the direction of uh, the full autonomy of the patient. Uh, and uh, legalisation is foreseen for at least in Colombia, in South America, and uh, in some of uh, um, um, some states in the United States of America, um, especially through referendum. In Switzerland, of course you have uh, uh, legally um, medical assisted suicide in Canada and in part of Australia. But I think what is striking because you could also consider that this is a, is a minority, if you consider the 190 nations, in the United Nations. But what is striking is that nobody uh, went back. Um, we are talking, usually, we are talking uh, of uh, democracies. And what is important is that public opinion always maintained support to those kind of regulation um, which means that uh, the famous theory about slippery slope that everybody would uh, have been killed uh, disabled people and old people and so on uh, well this kind of thing could maybe happen in a dictatorship but i'm sure that uh, democratic public opinion would react uh, in, in... And
2: exactly and it's it's the opposite it's exactly. in countries where it's not regulated where people are not safe
1: exactly because
2: you know if, if there is no law then people will will take matters into their own hand hands and that is where you know uh, doctors or relatives uh, or others are, are are working in the dark uh, it's you know if you regulate it brings things to light is it solving every single ethical dilemma. No, because it's, you know, it's an ongoing debate, also in the Netherlands, because there will always be new ethical dilemmas. But it is a fiction to say that countries that haven't legislated, that, you know, that there is no euthanasia. I mean, you've all, we're all familiar with the, the famous uh, uh, Haneke movie Amour. Uh, I mean, that is the kind of, um, that's the kind of dilemma that people are, are struggling with everywhere, everywhere. If you see a loved one suffer, so terribly, then you know, people are inclined to take the law into their own hands. Um, uh, inversely, there may also be people who have reasons to, uh, uh, let's say, speed up uh, somebody's death. Um, doctors are, because this is also, doctors are, are, where it's not regulated, doctors are the ones who have to take the legal risk, who may have to, uh, to, to, to help somebody end their life in whatever way, and, and they will be inclined to do it because they feel responsible for um, treating their patients, for ending the, the suffering, and yet in doing so, they risk um, uh, you know, being convicted for a criminal act. So if you regulate, you don't actually, let's say, uh, increase the number of uh, difficult situations, you decrease them because you, you give people a space where it is possible to find solutions. And as I said at the start in the Netherlands, ever since legislation was introduced, uh, the number of of cases is actually going down because people feel that now all the options are open.
0: Definitely. There is another,
1: Katrina, there is another important legal point because if it is true that uh, only few countries already legalize euthanasia, the vast majority of uh, democratic and rule of law countries are accepting uh, the fact that you can legally interrupt uh, uh, life-sustaining treatment, Uh, which, for example, in Italy, at the basis of all the jurisprudence, the juridical decision on end-of-life decision, there is this principle, which is uh, uh, included in the Italian constitution, that nobody uh, can be obliged to a medical treatment. Uh, Of course, this idea, it is not legal euthanasia, but uh, it carries with it uh, important consequences uh, in a a path that can lead to uh, medically assisted suicide and and euthanasia. And the Oviedo Convention talking about Europe and the Council of Europe in this case also foresees that the will of the patient should be taken in consideration Uh, and uh, even if this is not a mandatory indication for a living will it is still a general principle um, useful to support living will legislation and in general the concept of autonomy that Sophie was talking about before.
0: So uh, I, I have a provocatory question, actually. So you describe a kind of a scattered situation in Europe. So not all of the countries are in the same page. But I- if I have a health condition, I mean, I'm an Italian citizen. If I go to Paris and I feel sick, I will be assisted because I am a European citizen. Would it be the same for an end-of-life of life treatment? If I move from Italy to a country where, you know, this, there is a regulation of for end-of-life treatment, would, would I be assisted in the basically, same way?
1: The answer is basically yes, uh, even if sometimes it's more in theory than in practice. Um, Switzerland is the only country in the world who is accepting um, patients coming for abro- from abroad without a link to the national health system. Um, So uh, you cannot, for example, from Italy, you cannot travel to the Netherlands just to have euthanasia. You should be recognized as a patient for the Dutch health system, which in practice makes uh, uh, not available this, uh, this possibility. But if you are uh, in charge of a national system. There is also the, the principle of uh, free circulation of patients. And uh, this is one of those principles we are working on with uh, Sophie, uh, also to ask uh, for a better coordination and even harmonization of uh, uh, rights of patient on this uh, on this matter.
2: I think there is there there are uh, there are some obstacles also of a let's say somewhat practical nature. In that, well, first of all, somebody may be too ill to travel. Um, but also in the Netherlands, for example, uh, one of the conditions is that you uh, there, there's a whole procedure you have to go through uh, in order to get authorization. You know, you can't just say, oh well. Uh, Today is Friday. Monday. Um, I want to to to, to end, end life, but um, uh, you have to have a um, how do you say this in English? There there has to be a uh, let's say is a, a stable um, relationship in terms of medical treatment with a doctor. You cannot just go to any doctor and say uh, you know okay we've never met before but I want this. Um, of course, if, if your own family doctor doesn't want to cooperate, then uh, he or she will have to refer you to another doctor. Uh, so that would be a different, uh, a different uh, situation. But uh, so this is also an obstacle because let's say even if you move to the Netherlands, you, you register you're, you, uh, you know, on day one, you're registered in the national uh, health system, then still you know, a, a family doctor will want to get to know you in order to be able to assess whether your, your wish uh, is indeed, let's say, is, is a stable one, well thought through, uh, etc. So it's not, there are these built-in safeguards against, um, uh, against, well, let's say, frivolous decisions, uh, if you want. But that, that makes it difficult for people, indeed, to, to travel out, contrary to, for example, uh, abortion, where you can travel to another country. And then, of course, there also, I mean, we're talking now the whole time about people let's say adults who are uh, who are still clear uh, who 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 can take their own decisions but there's so many cases uh, infants Uh, Marco remembers well the the television debate uh, we had at the time uh, about in the Netherlands there's a a program um, uh, in, in, in an academic hospital where newly borns who have uh, conditions that cannot be treated and who are really suffering immensely uh, they will um you know the doctors are not going to to do everything to keep them alive um so they let them it's kind of like palliative care knowing that they will they will die uh, by themselves basically um, and of course, these babies cannot express a will. And there was big outrage in Italy at the time. And we were, the Netherlands were compared to uh, to, to the Nazi regime. And But the thing is, in, in other countries, these babies will also die. But first, they will be kept alive for many months, suffering and all. <laughs> and then they will still die. Uh, but in the statistics, it looks as if, uh, you know, as if the number is much higher in the Netherlands, only because they don't appear in the... The, the 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 newly born statistics. And then there's also there are also other ethical questions, like what to do with people who are uh, uh, who, who are suffering from dementia from Alzheimer' uh, and who have when they were still clear, they expressed expressed a very clear wish that you know, should they ever be in such a horrible condition that they they want euthanasia, then? But then it's very difficult when you get to that point. You cannot not yourself express that wish anymore, so the doctor will have to rely on the statement that you've made earlier. It is allowed in the Netherlands, but it's very very difficult. Uh, or a situation whereby, uh, for example, uh, a minor, a teenager, for example, is, uh, is 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 suffering and 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 wants euthanasia, wants uh, end of life, um, and say it's somebody 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, so somebody, you know, old enough to take decisions, and yet it's it's for the parents, and if the parents say we don't want it, then, you know, what is, is it the interest of the child that comes first, or is it the, the you know, the fact that parents have uh, have the custody over the child, I mean, those are those are ethical uh, decisions. Another debate that we are having is whether people who are who are old, but they're not they're not sick, you know, they're in good health, but they just feel that you know their life is complete. They don't want to continue to live. They say, "I had a happy life, but it's over. It's it's enough. I don't want anymore." Um, should they be allowed to just um, you know to get to, to to get medication and take their own life? I mean, this is what many. Many people, not many, but people are doing, but it's they cannot they have no access to such medication legally. So then they are they are resorting to things they can buy on the internet, uh, uh, and that's not always a pleasant death. Uh, and it's not legal, and people it's not legal to help them. So those kind of questions have not been resolved. and I'm pretty sure that there will never be, let's say, a one hundred percent final, definitive watertight, Answer to these questions, and there shouldn't be, because they are indeed uh, uh, complicated dilemmas. But that is when we get back to what you said at the start this is where dignity, in terms of autonomy, in terms of freedom, in terms of own choice, uh, that is the only principle that, that should really dictate the outcome of these debates.
0: Yeah, that, that's very, very important, the comment that you made, because um, euthanasia is one word. But actually, it has several implications because there are some criteria, type of patient that can access to that. And then there are you know, protocol, procedure to follow that are different patient by patient. So the regulation upon that. So not everyone can access to the autarxia. And I think the most important thing that you said is patients are not left alone. Because mm-hmm. you know if you do by yourself, what we can call suicide you are left alone, and perhaps that's not the best way to die. Well, if you follow a procedure, you have a stable connection with a doctor, then you can find also the most appropriate way to end your you know, suffering, because we are talking about people who are suffering. So uh, I, I think that, you know, the important of, you know, and also another um, question that raised Marco is about procedure. Um, So when we talk about euthanasia, we we actually talk about two main procedures that perhaps Marco can explain better. One is the assisted suicide and the other one is the medical assisted dying. And this is also different, you know, from country to country and and regulation to regulation. So Marco, could you? Uh,
1: um, Yes. um, This difference uh, in my eyes uh, it is not so much important, but if it's true that uh, there are legislation who are making a very strong difference, uh, for example, in uh, Switzerland, you cannot have euthanasia as uh, active from a doctor, for example,
0: which is uh, the medical assisting dying, correct? Exactly,
1: medical assisting dying. Uh, on the other hand, in Belgium. Uh, it is not legal to have uh, medically assisted suicide. So, uh, what in Switzerland is the only way that the patient himself or herself has to, um, to take the substance, the, the lethal substance, uh, leading him, him or her to death. In Belgium, you cannot do, do it by yourself. The doctor has to do that. In the Netherlands, you can choose, and the the vast majority of people choose to be helped by uh, by the doctor. Uh, In my opinion, from a moral point of view, and as a consequence from a legal point of view, it it should not make such a big uh, difference. Mm -hmm. The real political point and issue, and also moral issue, is at, at which condition you give to a person the right to die, but then the way in which the process in which uh, the, the the instruments and um, in which this is realized, I think, it, it is of course important, but it is not the most uh, important point the only in my opinion of of course uh, the only uh, counter argument of some value uh, is from people who are worried about uh, the lack of assistance and treatment of uh, patients Um, and and they object and on this point they are right that uh, very often people who are asking to be helped to die in reality they are not treated appropriately um, mainly on a psychiatric point of view they can be helped uh, or to even socially they are people alone or not very well treated from a psychiatric point of view. But still, even if you take this argument as a good argument, it is not a good argument to prohibit uh, euthanasia or uh, medically assisted suicide. Because just because, exactly because of the legal uh, regulation, you can get in contact with them Uh, if you prohibit simply those people will not trust their doctor or the state in general and they will find solution by themselves so even if um, you use this argument which is very different from the ideological uh argument of uh, we are not master of our own life. Of course, this is the major uh, philosophical and moral, ethical argument to deny autonomy on the end of life decision. And if you follow this argument, there is no real possibility of discussion because if someone says that life is not uh, something that we can decide upon, There is not much to discuss. But if the uh, objection is is a pragmatical objection, I think that uh, the countries in which euthanasia has been legalized are demonstrating that even practically speaking, there is much more possibility of helping a person, even changing their mind. Sophie before was making Mm -hmm. the parallel with abortion. And I think, It it is a good parallel also under this angle. Um, It is true that maybe a woman, some women that are uh, choosing abortion, maybe if they are helped, they could change their mind. But only if abortion is legal, you can have this kind of open dialogue. If you push them into the black, uh, uh, and even, if an, even if it's not a black market, and at least a, a black area, a black zone, a dark zone where n- nobody can help the person. On a practical level, this could mm-hmm. uh, uh, create more danger for the patient.
2: Mm. It's funny you refer to that because just this week the, the Dutch parliament uh, was discussing a proposal to, uh, uh, and, and there will be a majority, to eliminate the uh, the mandatory five-day reflection period uh, for an abortion. Because women are, of course, not rational creatures, as we all know. So they cannot possibly decide for themselves. You need to oblige them to sit down for another five days and think about whether they really, really, really want this. I always think it's funny that you know women are not considered to be rational enough to take this decision. But apparently, they are rational enough to then Put the creature on the world and be responsible for him for the next twenty years or so. Um, but um, no, but there's this indeed the whole idea that people people are unable to decide for themselves. And of course, there is the issue of what what I would summarize um, as as the quality of life. Um, and this is this is uh, objectively an issue if people because of material circumstances, for example. Uh, do not have a good quality of life uh, and would therefore maybe be more inclined to say, well, you know, it's 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 not worth it anyway. Uh, but that is something we have to address as a society. And then ultimately it will still be up to the person to decide whether or not the suffering is bearable. We have this, we have, uh, uh, there is one condition in, in Dutch which would translate something like uh, uh, suffering uh, has to be unbearable and, and without perspective of, you know, improvement. Uh, we have a simpler formula in, in Dutch, but that is a condition for euthanasia, as we call it, to be, to be legal. But um, just as only the pregnant woman can decide whether or not she wants, uh, you know, there is a place for, uh, uh, for a baby in her life you know, she decides whether that is possible, Uh, the person who is seeking uh, euthanasia should also be the one determining whether or not the suffering is bearable. Nobody else can decide that for you. And and what the limit is, you know, where, what is is bearable and what isn't, that is purely individual. What one person considers to be unbearable, somebody else will happily bear for, for many years. I mean, it's, you know, and 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 you should, you should allow people to determine that for themselves.
0: And and this is probably something that you know should be um, also protect from the European Union. So you you, you both signed an important letter and you address to the European Parliament. Um, Claiming the self-determination as a human right and as a human right as being protected by the European Court. And I was, as a scientist, I was particularly impressed about that letter for one specific point. The lack of data and the lack of funding on research about, you know, protocol, procedure, and also the regulation itself. And so uh, um i know i would like to you to comment on this and also ask if you know if you receive any feedback on that letter
1: Sophie, on that point
0: no
2: well you know you you always get the same we we haven't had let's say uh you, you, you you never get any any substantial answers to these questions i mean of course we've been asking these questions many many times before but the commission will just sort of panic when they get letters about these topics because they know that national governments are going to immediately say you know this is not european uh, competence and it's very it's very thorny it's a very emotional debate so they're going to try and stay away from it because it's not um, they, they, they cannot it's not a technocratic thing um but that's silly because if you if you look at the national health systems uh, you know, all these issues, uh, end of life care in whatever form or abortion, it's all part of the national health systems, you know, no matter how it's regulated in one way or another. And, um, and so, and the funny thing is that the commission has funded, sort of generously funded research into uh, palliative care, uh, but it refuses to fund, um, refuses to fund, it, sort of avoiding to fund... Projects uh, relating to to research into euthanasia, and of course the commission is saying, "Oh, but we can't help it; there are simply no requests." But you know, you can. It all depends on how you how you uh, set the conditions for for these research uh, programs. And um, but I think there should also be more more bottom up push, more bottom up demand uh, for Research And I think that after, after uh, COVID uh, or triggered by COVID, I think everybody now recognizes that we need a European health union. Well, if that is true, then end of life is as much part and parcel of a health
0: union as the start of life and everything in between. I, I totally agree on that because, you know, if we are equal under the European Union as a right, we should be equally treated also under, a, a, you know, same health system. Then, of course, you know, the indication on the European Commission can be, you know, implemented in a different way country to country as happened for the field, but at least we should, uh, you know, common uh, line, common guideline, uh, to follow, of starting from you know the beginning of life uh, up to the end of life. So in Italy, this you know we, we, this um, you know the, the lack of data and of course the lack of a standardised procedure became particularly important for a specific case, which is the case of Mario, uh, who is you know, uh, asking uh, the health system to you know to uh, assist society but there is no protocol, and so, you know, just simply, you know, the doctor say, you know, we don't know how to do it. There is nothing written on. Uh, so Marco was particularly involved in this case, and so probably, can you comment on that, Marco?
1: Uh, y- yes, Katrina, because in reality, what happened is that Mario, um, a patient um, completely disabled since uh, 10 years, asked me, uh, not asking me, uh, informed me about the fact that he was going to Switzerland to get assisted suicide and I explained to him that he already had the right to obtain medically assisted suicide in Italy thanks to the um, decision of the Constitutional Court on my case. Uh, and then he started the legal battle which is going on since uh, 17 months uh, because the regional health system in uh, Regione Marche is simply refusing to, um, to respect the law. This is what's uh, what happening. So, uh, and uh, mm, this is very peculiar to Italy. You are entitled to a right in theory, but, but then in practical terms, the lack of procedure is uh, uh, creating a de facto prohibition, which is even more difficult to eliminate than a legal mm. prohibition. That's a very, very important problem.
2: It's a bit like uh, failure to act, basically.
1: Exactly. exactly.
2: Yeah. Okay, but can't, you can challenge failure to act.
1: Yes, but we had already two um, decision from a tribunal uh, ordering to the the health system to to go on with the procedure, and we even denounced them uh, as a penal responsibility mm. of uh, imposing a suffering against the will of a person. So, uh, with the, the allegation that we put in the that that that, that, that Mario put in the denunciation is a, an allegation for violence against him. So we are waiting also for this, uh, uh, for this process to get to an end.
2: It's incredibly courageous, I have to say, people who are conducting such a battle when they're in such a condition. I mean, can you imagine?
1: Yes, yes. Well, in theory, going back to the European, uh, uh, in theory, uh, he could also have access, if I think about, for example, Austria, which just um, legalized assisted suicide. I think, um, in, in theory, he could travel to Austria. So uh, we are also thinking about this, uh, uh, this possibility. But uh, uh, another thing that I wanted to say about the letter that you mentioned uh, is that... Uh, um, there is something that many, many European countries share, which is legislation on living will, which is respecting the will of a person which is no longer in condition to express uh, his or her current will. So the idea that we are working on, and we will discuss at uh, the Human's Congress in Warsaw in March, is exactly to create uh, a minimum protocol, not uh, of uh, a European legislation on living will, because this will not be recognized as um, within the competencies of the European Union, but at least for as, um, sharing of data, which is the thing that we are already doing uh, for COVID, uh, uh, legislation about COVID are national legislation, but still we have uh, a sort of sharing of information to allow travels. So uh, we think that if you are an Italian patient and you are in, in France for work, maybe you are a few months in, in France and something happens to you, uh, you should have uh, an, an easy way for French doctor to know what your will, what what the will of the person uh, were, if she or he made uh, the living will in Italy. So to create a kind, a sort of interoperability of living will or sharing of data, uh, we put this under the name of a European living will, is something that we are working on, um, from a legal point of view, uh, firstly, because uh, we need to have a solid European legal basis, and then maybe we could transform it uh, in a bottom-up proposal, as uh, Sophie was suggesting, maybe through, I don't know if a petition or a European citizen initiative, but uh, to, to try to uh, raise this uh, uh, problem, but also opportunity within the European Union.
2: Oh, but that's the strange thing, because everything is political. Th- technically, there is absolutely no obstacle, um, and maybe a, a slightly less pessimistic than, than Marco. I think legally it should be possible as well. I mean, yeah. if we can have sort of uh, uh, Europe-wide recognition of the ingredients of cheese and marmalade, then surely we can have Europe-wide recognition <laughs> no, no, of human rights. But, I agree uh, that you
1: can, but, but <laughs> it's difficult to uh, find the way The uh, political will is robust, isn't... robust no. enough to resist to the opposition. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but
2: um, uh, no, but I think this whole debate about the, the European Health Union is a, is a very good moment, but there will, we will need a um, uh, 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 push from, from, you know, the grassroots because the political leadership is not going to touch this, it's toxic. They think, and the funny thing is, that very often they are they are lagging behind public opinion. You know, public opinion on these matters tends to be a lot more pragmatic. Um, and of course, this is this is something where most people who are uh, uh, who are facing this issue, uh, I mean, the cross-border aspects of that is probably least of their concerns. But at the same time, if you know, we have population aging, Uh, as Marco said, there's, you know, progress in medical science, Um, it may well be that more and more people want to at least have the opportunity, want to have more freedom, want to have more, more choice. Um, And, and yes, it's a delicate topic. But I do think that we should have this this European um, angle, because indeed, if we can do it with the covert certificate, then why can't we do it with with the living will, at least?
0: So the, the role of public in uh, this sense is very important. So the, is, you know, is as coming from us to you know, through petition, through activism, to you know, yeah. to, to raise awareness and also to, to you know to you know to raise attention from the politicians on this yeah. topic. Yes, and I think it's also important to uh,
2: to uh, shine some light on the activities of the opponents because they are well organized. Uh, They are not publicly very visible. They keep a very, very uh, low profile. Uh, They have a lot of money uh, and they're very actively campaigning against these things. And they are actually, they're very smart in using indeed things like uh, the European Citizens Initiative, strategic litigation before the court of Luxembourg or the court of of Strasbourg, Uh, they have privileged access to the corridors of power, because, uh, for example, if you are, uh, you know, if you're representing the Vatican, then uh, you're considered a diplomat and not a religious lobbyist. So they they have, and, and of course, you know, they have, they have a lot of political influence and also influence over public opinion, uh, simply through their uh, addressing, let's say their, their members. And I think Everybody is entitled to, to try and influence political decision-making, but it has to be transparent. It has to be fair uh, and measured. Uh, and I think most people really have no idea how influential these ultra-reactionary uh, religious groups have become in the European Union. And uh, it's about time that we, uh, you know, that the, they
1: are they're exposed to daylight. Paradoxically, in some way they are more transnational even if they are oh yes tr- even if they are nationalist basically they are more transnational than uh, um, uh, pro european oh. uh, pro civil life because we tend because national politics uh, uh, tend to remain national, uh, but they are very smart in acting at the transnational level. This is one of the reasons why we are trying to work this idea of a, of a network of, of citizens, directly of oh. the European citizens, because we we need something at least as transnational as they are to to help national politics to, to go on on this matter. Oh.
2: Their nationalism is a—it's uh, uh, just a pretext. It's a facade because they're very transnational. They have, funnily enough, they have a a shared political agenda, which is a values agenda. It's it's not about you know uh, the 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 railroad network or uh, roaming costs or agriculture. No no, it's exclusively about values and 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 basically you know, the kind of values that we don't share, usually, uh, they call it there is actually kind of international manifesto called uh, restoring the natural order. Uh, so I think it's pretty clear what that stands for. And, um, uh, and, and the funny thing is, they use the same language as the progressive forces, they talk about dignity, freedom, family, you know, but it's their agenda is a wholly different one. And it's about time that progressive forces get out of their of their, 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 their timid paralysis, you know, thinking that uh, it's very scary to say to people that these issues are also international issues. Because like in my country, you know, when you talk about these things, about euthanasia, abortion, uh, uh, um, uh, equal marriage, and those things, the people go like, oh, but you know, we, have, we have achieved these things, these progressive steps. So uh, if you now take it to the European level, they may actually take it away from us. Um, but the funny thing is that by 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 staying strictly within our national context, we're actually leaving the whole arena to the reactionary forces. Yes.
1: Um,
2: and 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 this has been going on for many years. Four, four years ago, I, I I published a book precisely about this topic. It's only in Dutch, unfortunately. But uh, we should really have the courage to take these things. It's like I think um, uh, what, what Macron actually did a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago in Strasbourg, when he, he, he launched the, the French presidency, when he said abortion is a fundamental right. I thought, whoa. I mean, okay, you can think about Macron, whatever you like, but this is, this is what, what has to be done. Sort of you know, claim these issues for, for the European domain and not be afraid to say it. Yes. Abortion is a fundamental right, full stop, and not be timid about it. And that's the kind of uh, the kind of debate that we need, and the kind of courage that we need. And as, as I said, you may you may disagree and 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 criticize a lot of things that Macron did, but this was truly courageous. This was true political courage, and much needed.
0: Yes, I agree. Very nice, thank you. So, uh, if you know this. Uh, seems, you know, very far away sometimes from, you know, the general community. So in, imagine, um, you know, that I am, uh, you know, a student or even uh, any kind of worker just doing my simple life, but I'm, I'm sensible to this uh, topic. What, what I can do, Marco, to, you know, to help, you know, and to fight for this, how can jo- I can join? force with you and work on that?
1: Well, of course, uh, uh, it depends. Uh, we're talking to an international audience, so commitment can be, um, can be at the local level, at the national level, with a political party, with election, with organizations, NGOs, international organizations. So there is not just one thing or one place or one way in which uh, Um, you can get active to defend and promote civil freedoms and fundamental rights. I think that what is uh, actually lacking now is uh, um, uh, civic participation at the European level. We need uh, uh, European citizens, not only national citizens, but also European citizens, and this you need to do it also through civic participation. This is why we had this idea of, uh, of the Congress in Warsaw uh, for uh, humans in uh, eleven and 12th of March, uh, just to, uh, to create an embryo in way of uh, a civic platform. Uh, you, you have different uh, one issue, a campaign at the European level, level which is very good. Uh, what is lacking I think is uh, European movement acting at the pan-european level. We have to work on that,
2: no. but it's, it's possible. And maybe we should also conclude on this, but there is a European public space. There is the people who say that it's only purely national are absolutely wrong. And I think for already a couple of decades, we see this emerging. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when there was the invasion of Iraq worldwide, there were Marches, people using the same slogans, the same symbols. We've had the we've had the Occupy movement. We've had, uh, uh, you know, we have now we have uh, uh, the, the 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 climate movement, uh, Greta Thunberg, the Friday uh, uh, student strikes. We have Black Lives Matter. We have Me Too. These are these are you know not even just European. They're global movement And secondly, the populist in particular, those who are uh, uh, advocating the opposite agenda of what we are calling for, they are doing it. They're doing it, they have created this and they are, language is no barrier. They use social media, they use images, they use plain language, um, they, 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 they do connect, they have recognizable leaders. Uh, and we should, as I said, we should get out of this, this paralysis of, of, of being intimidated uh, and create this pan-European ah. movement. There is, there is absolutely no reason why not, because this is typically something,
1: yes. this yes. kind
2: of questions, end-of-life questions, unites everybody, because everybody will be touched yes. by it. Yes. Every single person on this planet. Yes. So it's something which is irrespective of nationality, gender, uh, uh, social status, income, education yes. level... Uh, religion, whatever, every single one of us will be facing these questions. If there is one topic that should, I, should unite us all and bring people together, it's this.
0: Thank you, and I, I think this is really the, the right conclusion on uh, on this uh, topic. Uh, Marco, would you like to add uh, as well a no, conclusion I remarks?
1: It, I think it was a perfect conclusion <laughs> Exactly. For so I, I'm <laughs> exactly. fine with it. <laughs>
0: Perfect. So I, I'm, you know, I thank you both for you know this very interesting discussion and open discussion, and I, you know, I, I hope that we will continue soon. Uh, so we have a meeting in Warsaw definitely, but it's a kind of everyday meeting for this kind of fighting. So I and I I wish that you know our community will multiply and join force with us on this topic. Okay. Grazie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh. Tchau, okay. oh,
1: Sophie. Thank you very much.